Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Politilo, and the team at The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we're speaking to Phil Yetzis to understand his L&D journey and delve into the challenges he's currently facing. Phil, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us. Do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure, thanks James. Uh, yeah, so my name is Phil Yetzis and I am Learning and Development Manager for the Marlow Fire and Security Group. Um, bit of a strange uh, route sort of into L&D. Um, I started off uh, at university with a master's in translation and interpreting um, in French and Spanish and then went into teaching after that. Uh, alongside that started doing some, uh, I was into my hockey, so hockey coaching uh, and also volunteering at large tournaments uh, as, um, as a liaison officer, as an interpreter. And then that led to me being hunted, uh, headhunted uh, for a role at London 2012 to head up the athlete services team for, for the hockey event. And that included um, sort of lots of training and project management. Uh, and then after that, left teaching and moved into business, uh, doing training, um, setting up inductions, uh, running some coaching sessions that link with my my coaching, coach education in hockey. And then um, coaching and training sort of came out naturally and gradually developed into L&D roles. Uh, and I've now worked in L&D for a number of years across the outsourced services industry, health and social care, and now in fire and security. I always find it fascinating how the different routes people do take into L&D and you know you said originally you know teaching hockey various other things and you're into the corporate world and through various different you know uh, industries etc so why why the changes why the moves was it happenstance was it planned it wasn't planned it's absolutely happenstance I think you know opportunities present themselves. You have conversations with people at, at events, at meetings, um, socially, on LinkedIn, all over the place and roles develop. So I went into one role as an account manager and within six weeks it developed into sort of setting up inductions and running training for the company just because they didn't know they needed it. But when I came and suggested it, you know, they discovered actually that's not that's not a bad idea. So yeah, I've always been involved in hockey and in sport, playing, coaching um, and doing some coach education. But I've also always been, uh, my, both my parents were teachers. And so uh, there was always, you know, the joke in the family, oh, whatever you do, don't go into teaching. You will, you will, but don't do it. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to go into teaching. So I went and did my degree and then I thought, what am I going to do with this? And so I went into teaching. Uh, and so that I suppose developed and I found a love for standing up in front of people, delivering uh, training and just supporting people through whatever it was they needed support with. Uh, and then in business, I suppose, in, in a commercial environment, that natural desire to do that came out. Uh, and so, yes, happenstance, but also, I suppose, an intrinsic desire to support people, which was bound to come out at some stage. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of those things you've you've mentioned on that 
you know journey you've been on sometimes in those L&D roles you'll go into smaller L&D roles or even bigger ones and and people don't know what they need or what they want they don't really even know what learning and development is in some cases and you know you've been on a bit of that journey in your career as well so what does learning and development really mean to you? I think to me it's about helping people it's about guiding people it's about supporting people um ultimately to me lnd can be whatever somebody wants it to be so from my perspective as an lnd manager if somebody in my business says this is what i need then that's what my job is because this is what they need to uh improve their performance to be happier at work whatever it might be um i tend to use this uh, the word support rather than the term learning because i think learning people are scared of the word quite often uh, they see it as going back to school tests exams essays whereas actually we're all learning all the time anyway without even knowing it but as soon as you formalize it people run a mile uh, so particularly people who are who would not class themselves as academics so perhaps support and development is a better term you know we're s and d professionals rather than l and d professionals um, and i found that when i explain to people outside the industry um, or scary sometimes even inside the LD industry what i do they say oh you're a training manager and i say well yeah organizing and delivering training is part of what me and the team do but actually there's so much more to it and we solve problems so to me LD is about solving problems the business has a problem we identify it if it hasn't really been identified and then we set about to solve it so for example uh, the business says we've got a really high attrition rate within the first three months we're losing a lot of staff not really sure why probably we're not paying them enough and then LD come in and say mm, chances are it's because the induction is substandard or there's no onboarding process or they're not having regular one-to-ones with their line manager during the probation or the training is insufficient or a combination of all of those so it's about identifying those um, support mechanisms that staff need and that the businesses need and setting about to try and put those in place if they're not there already yeah, and I, th I think, you know, giving some of those examples you've talked about. So if you take something like the induction, you know, we've got high attrition, we've got this or what, we've got that, we've got the other. It's interesting when you come in and look at that problem as a, an L&D or a su support and development or performance and development or whatever you want to call it. But you look at it through that lens rather than just through the learning lens, because if you look at it through the learning lens or the training lens, you get an induction you get some days of training if you look at it through a reward lens or you know the line managers lens because they don't want anything to be about what something they can control it's all down to pay or something that's outside of their control and it when you come at it and look at it in that support and development role you're looking at it more holistically and you're often coming up with a range of solutions that are not all learning or training but are, are, are around support and development and you know cultural things in the business potentially and it can be challenging because sometimes you know traditionally the L&D person or the training person just went away and said yes thank you very much I'll go and deliver an induction course for you but now you're not quite giving them the same easy answer that they've had before you know and you're not going away that can be a challenge yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there are lots of challenges that we're presented with at the moment in L&D, but one of them is that traditional view of learning. 
Um, and I once I saw recently, actually, I think it was on LinkedIn. Someone said um, that L&D needs to change to uh, challenge two things, the opinions of key stakeholders and the traditional methods of learning. And I think that sums it up perfectly. I think key stakeholders in the business, you know, MDs, um, CEOs, whoever it is, um, HR directors, uh, sort of they take an approach of, well, it must be a commercial thing um, or L&D. It's just another name for training or as long as we have enough training sessions and, and a good enough induction, everything will be fine. But actually, have they taken the time to speak to the staff who are saying, mm, I think I'm going to leave and find out why? Yes, they'll do an exit interview, but it's too late by that point. And actually, you know, surveying those staff and saying, what is it that you want when you join a business? And my guess is they'll find the majority don't say, I want more money. They'll say, I want to feel valued. Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, it means I want to know that you consider it's worthwhile me being here. Well, how do we do that? And this is this is what L&D or S&D or performance you know, development is there for, to support businesses to say, here's how you look after your staff and you know, here's how you develop them. And development might not be more training, more qualifications, progression, promotions. It might be personal development. Uh, it might be just experience. It might be trying something else within the business. But I think the more we can challenge the norms and the more we can challenge uh, the traditional ways of thinking uh, and the more we can challenge the board of directors or whoever it is that runs the business, if we feel that's appropriate, then that's all for the better. No, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, we need to put ourselves in that position as well as to understand, you know, we can't sit there and just be subservient to a board of directors who may not have seen anything different before. They might have had a, a system to date that's helped them to be successful. Most of those people are, well, they, they're all successful. You know, you've got a board of directors, they have got somewhere and that's current system has worked for them. That you know, historic system you're moving away from has worked for them. So sometimes actually getting them to see that there might be a different way. They, you know, they've only seen traditional routes or they don't really understand what you're talking about. And you may not have those necessary contact times to be able to educate and, and, and you know, t talk through those things and, and bring to light the difference you can make to a business. So it can be challenging to to start to make those stakeholders or help those stakeholders, should I say, on that journey that they that you need them to go on. I completely agree. And I think, you know, we are now though, we're seeing uh, a sort of a wave of business uh, uh, owners, business managers, you know, people that run the business saying, actually, I recognize I need help. I'm not quite sure what help I need, but I think I need some help. So one of the things that really, really attracted me to my current role was when my line manager who interviewed me, so she's the HR director for the group, she said, I don't want a yes person. I want you to challenge me. I want you to tell me what you need. If I say no, I want you to convince me why. Uh, and I want you to present to the board and talk to them and tell them this is how it needs to be. And, and give me the rationale, give the justification. You are coming in as a subject matter expert and that's why we're bringing you in. And I really valued that. And that was one of the reasons I said, yes, this is where I want to work. This company, this group of companies is forward thinking they're recognizing okay we're growing now we need some help with this 
and they're bringing in people to try and support with that. Um, and I love that. And I think, you know, I've met a few people. I've been in my post probably 11 or 12 weeks now, so so not really very long at all. And a lot of people I speak to, they say, oh, so how long have you been in the industry? And I said, 11 or 12 weeks. No, but I don't mean the company, I mean the industry. Yeah, that's it. I'm new to the industry. How can you possibly come in and run learning and development if you don't know the industry? I saw it. It's really quite simple. I don't have to know the industry. Of course, I need to do some learning. Absolutely. Because there's bits of my job I can't do without knowing, um, you know, some technical aspects or, or or some areas of the industry. But actually, there are numerous people in the business who know everything about the industry and I will go to them for support. What I'm coming in for is to bring my area of expertise and have a more strategic view of learning and development than perhaps a traditional training manager would have. So uh, I don't need to be able to deliver technical training on you know X product, but uh, I need to be able to set out a vision that says if you're going to grow as quickly as you want to, here's how you're going to back that up with a, with you know an appropriate learning and development function. And when you explain it that way, people start to realise, oh, okay, all right, that makes sense. Well, you know, good luck with it. Or they say, well, no, that's never going to work. You need to be from the industry. And then it's my job to prove them wrong. And I'm I'm excited about that challenge. And I, you know, I love that point you're making about sort of that industry knowledge and what's important and transferable into to roles. Because again, when we've talked previously, you know my background. I've purposefully moved from industry to industry because I didn't want to become typecast in an industry and I love in my current role how you know we've got clients across multiple sectors multiple different sizes etc and we can bring creativity to all of those clients and in my previous in-house roles you go in and you see things because you're looking at the issues not your blinded by the fog of the industry or the expectation yes you're going to get all of that because you know as you're probably getting in your first 11 12 weeks everyone's going to tell you the stuff they know about the industry because that's what they know so all of that stuff is really easy to pick up in terms of understand sometimes you don't necessarily get told everything because they assume you'll know stuff so you have to be really inquisitive but I think it's a really interesting point around you know, moving industry and learning being a profession in itself. And I just sort of want to come back to one of the other points you made as well. So you talked about convincing stakeholders, but also moving away or, or changing the tools we use in learning and development. And I think that's, a, you know, a key point you made there as well, because getting stakeholders bought in or getting people to go, yes, actually learning is important. You know, people need to be invested in to stay here. But without having the skills and the tools and the ability to apply the right techniques and understand what learning looks like can actually just lead to a load of empowerment and misspending or misallocation of resources or time wasted if they're not coming in with that sort of strategic view that you've got because you're thinking through the business problems you've got the senior stakeholder buy-in to challenge but you've also got the the business mindedness to be able to help them on that journey and and I think that's a real challenge where where people have come maybe from that training manager position to to be viewing things in the way you are or to to be able to feel that they can move beyond the industry they're in because their expertise is maybe rooted in 
I know about widgets or I know about pouring pints or I know about delivering care or health and safety or whatever my subject matter expertise is, that subject matter expertise now needs to be in learning, which is something that will you know, support and development, as you said, not learning. I think spot on, James. Uh, I, I'm actually, you know, I, I spent 18 months working in the health and social care sector, of which when I started, again, I knew very, very little. Um, uh, bits about education, but not much about the care side. And my knowledge grew very quickly because I had to. But also, we're not dealing with the industry, we're dealing with people. So my role was to work with the staff. So not with the, with the service users, but with the staff. And the staff in um, a care home or uh, a school or a manufacturing company uh, or a pub, they are, to all intents and purposes, the same. They are people, not numbers, but people who want support. And that support will look different depending on the individual, depending on uh, the business, depending on uh, budgets, all sorts of different uh, variables. But actually, my job is to support the people. It's really irrespective of what industry they sit in. So uh, I think, uh, you know, to have that strategic outlook and say, here's how I think, having analysed as much as you can in, you know, 10 weeks, um, initially having analysed the existing provision within the business, but also the existing operating model in the business. Here are my thoughts. And, you know, I present those to the board and no doubt there'll be some challenges, but I'm more than happy to, you know, to justify those and provide some sort of rationale for those. Um, and I've been met so far with challenges like, but we've always done it this way. It's just the way it works in the industry. Well, then why don't we change the way it works in the industry? And yes, that's big words. Can you change the way something works in the whole industry? Well, actually, yes, I'm not quite sure why you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but let's look at a different approach. So to give you an example, um, you mentioned inductions earlier. We are looking at running, uh, at redeveloping our induction for various different reasons. Um, and we currently start all our inductions on a Monday because it's the start of the week. So you have to start an induction on a Monday. Why? So the challenge is time, but well, I can't come to meet this person on a Monday because it's the busiest day of the week, so I, I can't get to the office. So if it's the busiest day of the week for the whole business, why don't we start inductions on a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Oh, we can't do that. Well, why not? And it's challenging those sort of norms, um, you know, that say, well, let's do something a little bit different. What works for the business? It doesn't matter if you've never done it before. What works for the business? And then I think also it's it's passing on responsibility and accountability for that support to other people. So I'm one person. I have a small team and a team that is growing, but I can't support everybody personally. So actually it's saying to line managers, this is on you now. We can help identify together what this person wants, but I can't provide that specific support because they want to learn about you know, X and I can't give them that, but that's your job to give them that. So from day one or day two, when they come, you know, on their induction week, you need to be there to meet them. And then actually you have to provide that support with my guidance, if you want it, for the rest of their time here, because that's that's part of your job. And I think um, in my experience, people get promoted within a business because they're exceptional at their job. But with that promotion, 
often comes for the first time line management responsibility and we don't give enough support to new line managers so they will know how to do the job and they can tell people that they now manage how to do the job but can they support that person as a person some of them yes but i would i would suggest the majority no not without additional support not well enough so i think part of our role is to support the rest of the business in offering the same support that we can. So maybe, you know, it, devolving it to different departments, different heads of departments or different directors or different line managers and saying, oh, yes, we own the L&D strategy, but actually part of that is to say, this is your job now. This is your job now. And we all work together to support staff in the business. I think that's a really interesting point. And it's almost in some way we've done a bit of a pendulum and we're starting to see that across lots of people in the industry that we almost went through that stage because we've always had those technical experts promoted to line managers and you know then they could almost hand off that, those line management responsibilities to an HR person or to a, an L&D person if it was development and then we're trying to develop you know answer every question for them so you know, line managers have got an issue, a challenge, it must be learning. And, you know, there's lots of learning functions who almost became that sort of reactive. We just need to do what people need. And rather than step back and think, what does that system need to work? And like you said, it's about supporting those line managers to be able to understand that this is their role and to have the tools to be able to support those people because you can't be the technical knowledge expert to support every member of staff across the business. But in the same way, you know, those managers come with technical expertise, but we need to input to those who, or to all of them, but those who maybe it doesn't come naturally around coaching, support, whatever those line management capabilities and skills are that we're expecting in our organisation. Whereas we probably spent too long in the past just going, we've told them once and they don't do it and it doesn't happen and therefore we'll go and do it for them. You know, and again, it's, it's that whole vicious cycle you get into of, well, the line managers won't do this. We'll keep forcing a system. No one really buys into it. We'll follow it. And you, you just go round and round in circles. And we're seeing a lot of people almost step back and go, this is insanity. We're pushing something that isn't worked. We're not spending our time oiling the right bits of that machine or or setting out a process that's really going to work in the future of the business and they just keep doing you know as you said we've always done it this way so we've always done an annual appraisal we push this out ask for training needs this comes back the managers don't really like it we get nonsense in we can't you know whatever it happens to be lots of people are stuck in this vicious cycle of, of what we've always done in learning or within their business or within their industry i think you're right and you mentioned appraisals there you know, it's all very well doing an appraisal, but what do you do once you've done the appraisal? What do you do with the information, with the outcome, with the results? So do an appraisal, a line manager will identify training needs or development needs or support needs. Who follows up on that? Do we get followed up on? How do we assess if that's been a successful appraisal uh, or whether actually next year the same issues will come up? Um, and, you know, appraisal sits within, uh, as part of my remit, and we're just looking at uh, the uh, sort of analysing the results, if you like, of the appraisals that were done before I started, and then actually rolling out an education pro programme to managers, which says, okay, 
just in case you weren't 100% sure, here's how we conduct an appraisal successfully. Here's what we're looking for. And then once that's happened, here's how you can support uh, you know, that person in your team. So you've identified you need maybe this training, but actually a bit more support with this, a bit more support with that, maybe some more flexible working, whatever it might be. I think people are saying it has to be about qualifications or want promotion or a pay rise. No. Or they want flexible working so they can take their kids to school in the morning. Great. Okay. But do we follow up if that's been done or not? And then that produces useful MI for the business, for the board, uh, and we can move forward. Um, but, you know, the point about promoting people and then expecting them to have uh, sort of an assumed set of skills because they're now a manager is tricky. You know, I can relate it to uh, my the world of hockey and coaching. People will assume that somebody has played at a very high level. So it's an international player, played at the Olympics. And so therefore, when they get their coaching qualification, they will be the most outstanding coach in the world. That is just simply not the case. Some of them are exceptional. Of course they are. But also some people who have never played above sort of local level are the most fantastic coaches because they just get it. They can engage with the right people. And, you know, we move to this model of actually you might be a master coach, a superb coach specifically for young children. Or you might be fantastic at coaching high performance players. Uh, and actually, have you got a specialism in that coaching or mentoring role? And that's the same in business. Somebody's development, um, you know, their progression, it, they all look very different. So somebody might want to be a line manager, uh, you know, and then a head of and then a director uh, because it's it, that's that's what they look for in their role. It's about making their way up and that's how they measure their success. Some might say, do you know what? I just want to be an expert in what I do. I want to be the best. I want to be the person that everyone comes to and says, Phil, can you, I need help with this and you you seem to know, so can you help me? Um, but some are just superb at supporting others and helping others. And I think unless we identify uh, what those, um, you know, what those skill sets are and give people a bespoke individualized development plan based on what they want and what their skill set is, um, I don't think we're ever really going to change. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk at the moment about people's learning styles and the fact that actually learning styles uh, and learning preferences is quite an outdated theory, you know, whether you're a visual learner or auditory learner or kinesthetic or so on. You know, and, and I met with the apprenticeship provider the other day who said, right, well, we need to understand what sort of learner you are so we can decide how to deliver your training. And I thought, we really got a lot of work to do in L&D, in apprenticeships, with colleges, to, you know, if we're going to make huge change. So, yeah, Phil, I completely agree with you I think there's a whole underpinning in the learning industry that we need to look at and you know I'm glad you mentioned apprenticeships because I think when I was in-house and the apprentice levy came along actually it's a huge opportunity to do something really different in lots of organizations and it was is a real push but unfortunately you're then playing catch up on the architecture that sits under it so you're still building it in the traditional way you're still delivering things almost in colleges through academic years through you know assessment methods that are more about passing an exam and aren't as practical as they should be people were just flipping across their their learning that they've done in another way and and getting it badged as as a an apprenticeship and 
to me it's really missing the trick that we should be looking at how does modern learning happen and how do we build those people who are continually developing in their roles how do we support people in a multitude of different work styles and habits why should you know it be a, a college and school based system when actually we're in business what does business need but unfortunately you're often dealing with people who are coming from an academic background and don't understand that or even in the corporate learning world people who as you said don't see why they can do something different you know you raise the induction point of why can't we start an induction on a tuesday or a wednesday you get the same thing when as soon as you start challenging these different things well why do we need to to deliver it you know learning styles and someone's been told at some point in the past that that's to do with fairness and equity and access and of course those are all very good things but when you put the two and two together they don't actually equal four they equal five you know so it, it's how do we unpick those myths and how do we pull back what's actually relevant and help learning teams go and you know challenge those providers as well because it's hard those providers are there and, and there isn't a lot of of great providers out there who are stepping in and making that difference so you know for your in you know you being in-house and trying to bring a set of people together and, and looking out into the mist of who can help you what support can you get that must be a real challenge it's a huge challenge and you know we're really proud we're we're in the process of setting up the Marlow Academy which is a really industry leading provision for not just our apprentices, but for everybody across the business, engineers and non-technical staff. And the plan is we have, you know, quite a few apprentice engineers across the group. And, but what they learn is dictated by the apprenticeship standards and the apprenticeship providers say, we think they need to know this, but that company doesn't know our business. It doesn't, they don't know our, our clients. So, what we've done is we've created a set of standards that says we want our apprentices to know this and then whatever they can get from the existing provider great we will supplement that with our own delivery um, and our own training and that will complement what they get elsewhere because we want to attract the best talent um, and we want to cultivate the best talent and we want to engage the best talent so uh, you know, at the moment, we can't do that just through the existing apprenticeship providers because they, by the nature of what they do, they have to be sort of as generic as possible because, you know, we work in the fire and security industry, but that covers, you know, access control and CCTV and fire and, um, you know, all sorts of different areas and people have different specialisms. So you kind of have to, uh, offer your services so they suit everybody but actually we say well we know what we cover we have experts so here's what we want to deliver at the moment you know the apprenticeship and levy provides a really useful opportunity uh, for us to, uh, to for us to access training from existing providers and that's great and actually at the end of it they come out with a qualification or two which is fantastic um, but what can we do that's different? What can we do that will really set our learners up um, to, to have somewhere to go, something to do in the industry, to say, I am as good as I am because I went to the Marlow Academy, because they've really looked after me. And I think too many people worry, in fact, I had an email earlier on today, you know, from 
somebody worrying, but what if we give them all this training and then they leave? And I can't remember who it was that said it was it was Mr. Brandon who said, but what if we don't give them the training and they stay? Isn't that such it, that's a much more scary, you know, um, outlook, isn't it? A much more scary, a much scarier prospect because if they leave, they leave. Then we need to do better to keep them here. And you will always have staff turnover. If you're not striving to be the best, no matter what, and no matter whether somebody wants to stay or leave, then what's the point? Uh, so, you know, uh, I think the other thing that I'm finding in the industry at the moment is everything is geared towards engineers. So they are traditionally, they've been the lifeblood of the industry because they're the ones that go and service, you know, systems and fix things and install things. But actually, the business, the business wouldn't be able to operate without the support teams. And so the Marlow Academy, whilst we have a fantastic technical workshop space, actually, which I'm sitting in at the moment, uh, the umbrella term for the academy also encompasses the rest of the staff. So it's soft skills training, it's management development, it's customer service, it's whatever we need it to be for whoever needs support. Uh, and I think, again, challenging those norms about uh, you know, in this industry, it's all about engineers. No, it's not. It's about everyone. Why can't you be um, an industry specialist in another, you know, another area? Uh, and I, like I said, everything, everything is about challenging the norms uh, and slowly but surely making progress. Yeah, and I think it, you know, regardless of industry, it's a really easy trap to fall into of whatever your industry and in will have a dominant role, whether that's, you know, uh sales staff whether that's you know engineers whether that's nurses or carers or whatever but there are those people who are the biggest population or in the most high profile roles and that's tended to be where all the development spend has gone traditionally in the past and you can completely understand why but then you've got this forgotten set of people around the edges who maybe get picked up on management development programs or you know through a few bits of soft skills programs or you know, maybe a high potential program. And, and you know, it's a challenge that I've seen lots of businesses trying to look at how do they take that learning back out to more people. And then you get, you know, someone will put, oh, let's buy in a content library and put lots of online content on, or let's do X, Y, or Z. And, and actually doing that thoughtfully and, and taking it back and thinking, how do we treat the whole business as valuable and and everyone in the business that rather than just going we'll just bang a solution in or we'll just do something to keep them happy which is not how it's expressed but that's the reality of what a lot of those people will get in many businesses yeah of course it is and that goes back to the point i made at the start about you've got a business with high attrition and they say what's the problem well you're not looking after them so the high attrition actually will be your finance team and your customer service and your call receipt team and your schedulers because all you're doing is focusing um time on engineers or on your nurses or on your teachers or whatever it might be but not thought about the support staff you know take a football club everything goes into the players but what about your backroom staff what about your physios what about your coach you know it, it, it's the same principle applies and they're the people you're going to start losing and you'll soon realize you need them just as much as you need engineers absolutely whatever the industry might be and and you'll find that often those leaders in those functions have been less high profile so sometimes the leadership skills are i mean i've I found it both ways sometimes the leadership skills are far better 
but sometimes you'll find those leadership skills are we're just technical experts we're just here to deliver our roles and sometimes you'll find those people really want to nurture and develop their own people but it's getting in and understanding your context and I think back to your point about support what do those leaders in those functions need because there are going to be multiple multiple you know functions of marketing finance etc which may not be your core functions but how do you provide those leaders the tools and support to do what they really need to do and i think it's tricky if you don't know as a you know as an lnd professional if you come in and you don't really know about marketing or finance or sales then then where do you go do you google it how do i support a marketing executive what's the training out there for sales teams yeah maybe but maybe actually we are sit down properly sit down turn your emails off turn your phone off and say what do you need how can i help you that for me that's the best question how can i help you what can I do? And they say, well, I don't need any training. I didn't ask you about training. I said, how can I help you? It would be so good if I could do this. Brilliant. Then let's have a conversation about how we can make it work. And that is as valuable as any training that you could put in sometimes. Um, you know, I've actually delivered some training on uh, an induction this morning and we started talking about uh, employer recognition and, you know, you a lot of companies have employee of the month that sort of thing accommodation schemes uh, we have an internal social media platform and we post sort of congratulations accommodations on there and you know i showed a few examples and 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 the people in induction were saying do you know what sometimes that's even more uh rewarding and even more valuable just for you to see that recognition the business has for you than saying here's an extra thousand pounds a year or you know here's an extra day off i know i'm valued therefore I have some job security and some emotional security and stability and, and I'm going to work hard now, I'm going to enjoy it. My health and well-being is better. I know I'm valued, I add value to the business and that's recognised and surely that's as important as anything else is. Absolutely and I think it's that holistic view and you know, your point of sitting down and asking how can I help you? Tell me about your business, tell me about the challenges you're facing. You know that question that isn't transactional and going to respond I don't need any training or I need my people to get finance qualifications or I need some you know excel training or whatever it happens to be and it is thinking of that point of view and I think with most functions you should support you should support them on a business level not on a learning or a training level but particularly for those whose historic response has maybe been you know, I, I request from a pick list or I just have to come to you and you're the gatekeeper of whether I can sign my my team off or get some budget to, to put them through their finance qualifications because that's my only retention tool. So I think it's again thinking about, as you said, take the time, you know, rather than devise a load of theoretical approaches that you might apply across the business, go and speak to those people and find out what it is they need and you'll speak, you know, your time will be spent far more valuably. So yeah, I, I really resonate with what you said. Yeah, I think I think the challenge to that then is, you know, L and D professionals, much like many other sort of occupations, are given targets, are given uh, metrics. So now, if we're saying, well, actually, my job is to say, how can I help you, rather than saying, I must get this number of people through this amount of training in this amount of time. How do we measure the support that we give them? So, uh, you know, if I have to report back to my line manager who has to report back to the board that within three months I've achieved this and therefore I'm worth the salary they're paying me. What if actually 
everyone is a heck of a lot happier now because we've put certain measures in place. But mm, where are the metrics for that? Where's the data? What, what does it say? You know, it's all very well. It's easy enough to say this many people have been through training and since Phil's come in, that's doubled. Great, well done, Phil. Um, but actually, you know, what other metrics should we be looking at as N&D professionals? Should we at all? Uh, is a metric um, health and well-being? Is it uh, business performance? Uh, is it low attrition? I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I think maybe all three of those things. I think it's completely contextual because, you know, traditionally, if you think you can measure what you, you know, what you can measure. So you think, OK, number of hours training, number of courses. And again, at the start of my career, I, I, I tended to the challenge. And I remember one of the ways I challenged was I was in a small, very sales focused organisation. Like we must have metrics, we must have metrics, something we can measure or something we can do on this. And I was like, OK, so what do you want to measure? OK, number of training courses. OK, so that's your measure. Why are we measuring that? Because we can measure it. Fine, so number of training courses. So um, I wanted to make a point. So we started the year, we were running training courses and then we changed them because we got feedback from the business that actually having a lot of half day sessions rather than full day sessions would work better for them. So, you know, we then we changed it and we overnight we doubled the number of training courses we were offering. No more input, no different, but we changed it into half day courses. You know, people come along half a day, focus, go back to their job, etc. So nothing had really changed apart from us listening to our customers, but we doubled our output and our measure to the business because that was the agreed metric. We were going to look at training courses. Now you could then argue back and go, oh, it could be training hours. So this then landed on the, the FD's desk, who was then like, well, I'm meant to pay your bonuses on this. You can't have a 200% increase in performance and you can't, you know, you, this can't work, et cetera, et cetera. And we had the conversation about, can we actually start measuring something that's important to the business? Can we agree what we're going to support with each of the business areas? So we're then talking about, okay, what are we there to do? Well, the biggest problem in our account managers is we've got account manager, you know, we can't keep an account manager for Toffee. Therefore, our account management to our end customers is not great. So we started to talk about the business metrics we were there to support and the things we were doing to lead towards those and the activities we were taking, how we were going to measure that in both soft and hard measures. And this was, you know, 20 odd years ago, but it, we, we were having a conversation about a business and how we improved its performance because that's what was important not how many hours training people came to or number of training courses and it was a it was a it was a good moment for me as to start to really have business level conversations and get beyond we are a learning function but say our end problem is that we're losing customers because we're losing staff so how do we do something about that and then we're back into the diagnostic of why are we losing staff and we're losing staff because the staff don't know enough and they're brought in and they're thrown in because they're on the phones too quickly and actually when they're on the phones they're speaking to a load of dissatisfied customers who haven't had a dedicate you know and it was you had to unpick the whole process but we were then like okay we understand the problem now what will we do differently as a business and we were part of that and we were the catalyst for it for that conversation but we weren't then being measured on learning no, and your point about the sales training courses, we can measure it because, you know, we measure it because we can. 
that's fine but then do we measure the outcome of the courses so have they been successful have they brought you know additional revenue for the yeah. business and so on and actually it was a real refreshing um conversation for me when i started here and i met with our service director uh, and i proposed that actually rather than people coming in for induction for a day and then getting out on the road because traditionally it's about um return on investment and saying well i'm paying this person they need to be making money let's get them out yeah i understand that it costs us money to have somebody off the road for a week whilst we train them yeah but our service director agreed with me and he said yeah you're right though phil it's going to cost us a heck of a lot more money if they mess up further down the line so let's get it right first time let's invest in them let's show them how much we value them and i love that such a refreshing conversation to have with somebody who says yeah i understand why we need to do this it's really really important and part of what i'm doing at the moment you know you talked about what we measure and why we measure it um you know i have to submit a report to the board of the group board of directors and you know i've looked at what's been submitted in the past and tried to understand why so it's you know lovely pretty graphs and charts and data but does that tell us anything um you know is there a difference between data and mi to my mind yes there is what are you going to do with the information i give you do you really want to know how many people have been on this training course in the last four weeks or do you actually want to know what benefit that's produced for the business and that's what we're trying to do, I think, as a as a as an industry, as a function at the moment, is educate people around. You don't need this. Here's what you want to know, because here's how it's going to help you run your business. Now, I don't want to patronise anybody. I, I'm well, you know, the, the the directors know exactly what they're doing. But I think if we can give them some advice that says, actually, would you like to know this? We think this would be really useful. Um, they need to really do something with that information. Uh, because just having charts and graphs and those charts and graphs being bigger and higher than they were last month, I'm not actually sure there's an awful lot of uh, merit in that. No, and I think, you know, having you talked about data and MI and, and really being able to impact and, and make that difference to the business and, and working with that team, it, it is really important to get down to those metrics because, yeah, we can, if you, if you take the example of, someone wanting to know how many courses have been done it almost comes from the methodology of saying if i turn this widget here it's going to produce three over here because they're almost saying well if we put 100 people through this one course it's going to drive you know a 300 percent drive in sales but you know maybe it will maybe you've got enough data to show that actually we've put everyone through this induction we've done you know we know that people who don't go through the induction leave and whatever and, and therefore you're maybe at the point of going we've got a proven method here that we need to follow to drive these results and if we don't follow it we don't get those results but businesses change so quickly and and everything seems so changes within a business so quickly that we don't almost have that theoretical academic you know direct linkage across so it's an it's an ever-moving feast and that's where what's this telling us what's this helping us to do in terms of make different decisions or understand what we're doing not just prove our worth but what's it doing to help us as a business understand the value in enhance our our metrics enhance our performance for customers enhance our happiness for staff and and i think it's the management information bit and and that insight that's really important and we sometimes get too lost in the proof part 
which I don't think is particularly helpful. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I've I've really enjoyed my time here so far. And, and, you know, it's looking really, really promising for the future. We've got fantastic growth aspirations at Marlowe. Uh, and, you know, my job and, and the board are really, really receptive to this, which is fantastic. My job is to make the L&D function scalable so that we can keep up with those growth aspirations. Because as we all know, there comes a point where um, you grow too big and the support functions, you know, are not big enough and, and, and can't, you know, can't support that. So we need to be able to keep up with, you know, new contracts and winning new business and, and so on and, and increasing the number of staff we have in the business. So to make everything scalable and sustainable uh, at the moment is the strategic view that we're taking. And it's just so nice to work with a team who are who are really receptive to that and say, look, we know what we're doing on this side, but can you can you help us get there by supporting the staff? Yeah, of course I can. You know, fantastic opportunity. Well, you know, I think it, you being 11 or 12 weeks into that new opportunity, seeing all of those positive indicators and seeing that opportunity to really shape and an impact on a growing business. But looking slightly outside of that, you know, the role you're in now, what's what do you see as the future of L&D and, and your role in it? Because you've moved around, you've done lots of different things. Where do you see that journey apart from helping Marlowe grow, go in the future? I don't think anyone knows. I think it's changed so much as it is. Um, obviously, technology uh, and, you know, is 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 changing the way we do things. The pandemic has forced our hand in that L&D is moving away, training is moving away from classrooms uh, to online uh, or, um, yeah, you know, via Teams or via Zoom or whatever. But I think actually L&D is going, it perhaps needs to be less generic than it is now. So L&D needs to be bespoke to the organisation uh, you know, respective organisations. So L&D here at Marlow will look something totally different uh, to L&D at you know, Cadbury's or at wherever else or, you know, local firm down the road. Because, like we said earlier, L&D is based on business need and on staff need and it's about supporting where you want to go. And if everybody's got different aspirations, then everybody's got different needs. So yes, it's an element of training. We work in a highly regulated industry, so there are compliance factors to take into consideration. You have to have this training or you can't do this job, fine. We understand that's always going to be a part of, I suppose, L&D. Um, does it sit with L&D? Does it sit with compliance? Is there a crossover? Um, I'm not sure, but I think in terms of support and development, it could go absolutely anywhere, James. You know yourself from going into a range of different businesses in different industries uh, who come to you with a problem and say, James, I've got this problem. Can you help me fix it? Um, you know, I imagine no two projects that you get involved with are the same. No, I don't think they are the same. And I, I, I think the, the point I really liked in your answer was actually just about that contextual piece because every project is contextual every business it's about their own unique challenges you know too many people do still benchmark they look down the road at the competition and think what they can do there or they just want to bring the person in from from elsewhere in the industry and i you know my own personal wish is that as we move into the future we get better at being confident at saying 
we're doing it here differently for the right reasons because it's right for our people and for our business and we maybe get a more confident and se secure industry in support and development performance and whatever we want to call it but we have a set of professionals who are able to go in understand the the needs of their role to support their business going forward and shape a function and and a set of ways of working that works for them rather than just worry about are they doing the same as everyone else we always need to take ideas from elsewhere but i think having that confidence without being very insular to really understand the business and develop something great for those i would love to see more and more of those cases because we don't necessarily see it we go into lots of clients who are struggling to find their place or know what they should be doing and i'd like to see more of those confident strategic approaches across businesses i think that would be great you know someone in the business said to me the marlo academy doing is brilliant here's a link to the only other company we found in the industry doing an academy we want to aspire to be like them and i said absolutely no way we're going to aspire to be totally different i won't use the word better because it's different provisions for different needs so we will set up our academy to service our needs and to help our people excel uh, if that looks similar to someone else's great why can't we collaborate because it's competition yeah okay i get that but why can't we share ideas because actually they might be doing something that we really like and so on and so forth is that a naive view perhaps certainly our, you know, a commercial director will say, yes, yes, you know, we can't share any industry secrets. No, I know, but, you know, um, I think to do something because somebody else has done it and everyone shouts about how good it is, is not the right way to look at something. So everything has to be bespoke, everything has to be contextual. Uh, and if it's not, um, you know, it just isn't going to work. You said really early on in our chat uh, when we talked about teaching, uh, and teaching is now about passing exams rather than uh, actually teaching a subject. So I taught Spanish and French and it got to the stage where I could get somebody or support, I could support somebody to achieve, a, let's say, a C, uh, which is now what, a four, five at GCSE in Spanish. But they could go to Spain and not have a clue and not speak to anyone, not understand anything. But I know how to teach them to pass the exam. I don't like that. I want to teach them how to speak Spanish and be able to live in Spain and get on and, and enjoy the social aspects of Spain and so on and so forth. So uh, for me, when someone says, here's how other people do it and here's why we need this training or this development, because it gets us this, I, I think that's a bit sad sometimes. You know, why can't we have aspirations to do things that no one's ever done before because it works for the business? Why can't we, um, you know, why can't the sky be the limit? Well, because of a budget okay but imagine just imagine if we managed to find that money look what return on investment could give us look how happy the people could be look how long they could stay look at the contracts we could get can we find funding elsewhere can we do it without any funding and i just think challenging the norms and saying to people let's just let's try it can we put a structure in place that allows us to try new things is the only way forward uh, I think I think that's you know a great attitude to have and you know you being at the start of that journey you're on in your new role I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do shape and and achieve within that role and you know it's, it's been a brilliant conversation today Phil and I'm sure we could go on a lot longer but thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks James absolute pleasure. 
if people do want to contact you or connect with you or keep in touch and, and follow the story you're on, how's best for them to do that? I think LinkedIn's the best way. So Phil Yetzes, Y-E-T-Z-E-S on LinkedIn, more than happy to connect, more than happy to chat, have conversations and share best practice. Really look forward to connecting with people. Thanks again, Phil. And we'll make sure that those contact details are in the show notes below the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the learning effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.